Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, this is your hostess with the mostess, Kaylin McDuff, and I am joined today by Jess Demiel. Hi, Jess. Hi, Kaylin. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm excited to talk to you today. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, for those of my listeners who have been with me for a while, you know that really my podcast is one of the biggest ways I make friends in the world. So, you know, I uh, I was connected uh, to Jess via um, a one of my previous guests, um, Ren Rodriguez. Um, I forget which episode that is. Um, but he, he talked, we talked about, uh, masturbation and being a solo sexual. And I just had the best conversation with him and, um, I so respect his work. And, um, and so recently I just reached out to him and I was like, Hey, Ren, like who else do I need to know? Like, do you know any women that I should know? And he made one recommendation, which just like, yeah, there wow. were <laughs> like, here's like a list of all these women, right? He was like I know who you need to talk to Jess <laughs> I am so I love Ren like that's such a big compliment <laughs> yeah. well and and I thought you know I, I trust him in general just like he's such a man of um integrity you know mm-hmm. and so I would have you know if he sent me 10 names like I would have totally looked into all of them but there was so much power in that he was like Yep. I have this one person for you. Check her out. Let me know if you're into it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so yeah. So then I went to Jess's Instagram, which, you know, we'll, we'll share that in the show notes. Um, and I, the, one of the first things I saw was, um, was you roller skating. And, uh, so I was like, okay, I like, that's all I need to see, you know, <laughs> I was like, this woman uh, just looks so fun and so in touch with her like inner little girl. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That means a lot because that's exactly how I feel about about a lot of things, but especially um, roller skating and different practices like that. Like I definitely feel connected to, yeah, my inner child, my little girl inside me. I love that. Well, um, so we're going to dive into the conversation here in a moment. Um, but for my listeners, I'll just give you um, Jess's, you know, more official background. I mean, I think roller skating is really the main thing you need to know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the other things you should know about her is um, she's a sex educator. She's a somatica trained intimacy coach. Um, she's also an artist with a background in environmental justice community organizing. Uh, she's a um, trained massage therapist, uh, a luxury pleasure product professional. Uh, okay. I need to know more about that. Um, <laughs> but really <laughs> the biggest thing, all the details aside, the thing that I really get again, from just like feeling, um, Jess's energy, feeling her brand, um, and everything that she stands for is just, it's just so much about like really enjoying your life and whatever your expression of that is like to the depths of your soul. Mm -hmm. And I could feel that, you know, even before we ever spoke. And so, you know, again, for those of you who have been around uh, for a while listening to the show, you know, somebody like that, I'm like, yes, let's go. Let's have a conversation. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, so uh, I imagine that it has not always been this way in your life that you have been deeply in touch uh, with your your pleasure and your body. Um, so I'd love for you to just, you know, take us back to like, what, what prompted you to get on this path? You know, what was your life however long ago before this path? Um, yeah, give us a little color uh, for, yeah, just some context uh, for where you came from. Sure. Well, um, I think, and this could be true, and I see this with a lot of clients um, for many of us, but for me, the the real disconnection from pleasure kind of happened around puberty. And I, you know, mostly think that has a lot to do with just the way that many um, societies and cultures treat in general, like every everyone, but the way that it manifested for me as a young girl um, growing up in Tijuana in Mexico in a very like Catholic uh, background, you know, whether my parents weren't religious, but everyone else in my family was, I was going to a Catholic school mm-hmm. and, you know, before puberty, I, my, my mom's an artist, so she always encouraged me to express myself and, you know, we always had art supplies in the house And, you know, I was taken to dance classes and it was just a really fun environment of exploration and learning and just like making time to, to, you know, be in pleasure and and in community, you know, with, with my family and with like our neighbors, I feel so, you know, lucky that I grew up in the same house my mom grew up in. So all of the neighbors were, you know, inherited over generations and, you know, I only have one sister, but my father's the fifth of 10 siblings. My mom's the first of five. I have tons of cousins. I went to school with many of them. So I grew up in this like awesome, like community that where I felt held, where I felt like, especially because of my mom and her friends, that there was just like this fun artistic community where I could just explore and be myself. And I was like held and supported. And Okay, that's amazing. I know. <laughs> I want to pause on this, you know, because <laughs> this is, there's like a few things here, right? I hear Catholic upbringing, right? Which is just uh, conjures up a whole series of images for me. All right. And then I'm just like, oh my gosh, you got to, you got to be in this really nourishing environment where being an artist was valued. And, and that like, from that, it's like you learn a message about like your feminine is valued, right? And that's yeah. such a unique, I think, uh, I, I think that's just such a unique experience that most kids don't have in the, in this world. So that's yeah. amazing. It was, it really was. And that's why it was very confusing to me to then <laughs> go through puberty and feel like, whoa, I feel like things are changing just in the sense of like, um, for example, I used to get dressed like in the mornings when I was like, I don't know, six, seven, 10 years old, just put on whatever it was never matching. But my mom was like, yes, express yourself. And then when I developed breasts, all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, you need to cover, you know, your body. And oh my God, that looks like it was such a difference of like, what's going on? Like my body was something to hide or I needed to be ashamed of. And as I was growing into it, I didn't really even understand why there there was this fear around like, you know, you need to cover up. So Um, that was a huge moment for me where I started to feel the shutdown kind of happen. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I so I so get that. Well, and what what was your experience of the church? Interestingly enough, I, so my parents were never religious, but because I like loved school, everything about it, my friends, my teachers, and I was very close to both of my like grandmothers and my great grandmother who they're very religious. They were always praying rosaries. I actually wanted to be a nun when I was a kid because I I was like super into it. And my parents were like, who are, who are you? Like, you're not our child. Cause I would get worried. I'm like, you guys don't go to mass. You guys don't go to church. Like, you know, I want you guys to come to heaven with me. Like if we all make it, like I was definitely a very like religious child. I would pray at night. I would do my rosaries, like in the middle of the day, no one was asking me to. So 
I'm no longer religious. And I actually had a big, like, like almost this like religious rejection as a teenager of like, oh no, like I, I don't identify with this at all, but growing up, you know, I think it's, it's more, it's less to do with the religion itself and more to do with like how supported and connected I felt with those people, you know, like with my family and in school. And that was just like the background of it. So I was into it. And then once I started to see some of the more like negative aspects of at least that particular, like, you know, the way that it was manifesting, like in, in my life, then I, I like kind of, you know, saw it in a different way where I'm like, I actually want no part in this. So Uh it was a big turnaround at a really young age. Yeah. Well, you know, but I gotta say, I can just really appreciate a woman that's like, you know what? I am going to decide to get so damn devoted to something, (laughs) you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like there's a lot of ways you could look at that. Right. And be like, Whoa, what was I thinking? I wanted to be a nun. What the fuck? You know, like there's so many, (laughs) so many reactions you could have, but I'm just over here in awe of the woman that you were Right. And and the the piece of your heart that felt connected to the practice of that. Yeah, I mean, I will say that, you know, I didn't. After I decided to kind of almost relinquish that that aspect of myself, I didn't necessarily look for something to replace it immediately. And in that process, I could feel like, oh, like there was a lot that was really supportive for me or really nourishing to me about that, you know, whether it would have been something else, but I felt just so connected, like as a whole, like I just felt Mm -hmm. connected to something bigger than me. And that was very positive. And so even though I didn't look for something immediately to replace it, I, 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 different points, I did feel like, wow, like I really miss that. Like the practice that I, now that I hear other people talk about, like, um, practicing like gratitude and like doing gratitude journals and like all of this. And it's right. great, like whatever works for people. And I think yeah. that, that that's beautiful in its own. But, and I remember as a kid, when I would pray at night, my parents never told me, especially because they, they didn't do this themselves, how to pray. Right. And at school, I don't really remember them saying that, like they would teach us these prayers that you just kind of memorize and repeat. But in my own practice at night, I would kind of tune in say, you know, my Hail Marys, all of that. And then I would do this gratitude practice just because I would have the moment to myself like, whoa, like I really am grateful that like mm-hmm. I have this family that I'm like, have a house. Like I would just go through this every single night. And it wasn't a like a chore, like something I must do this to go to bed. I would just fall into this place of gratitude, yeah. like without trying and that was so nice. And like, now I have, I have to like, try to do that. You know, like, well, like I had this down as a kid. Now it's a lot harder, but at least I know that I, I, that it's possible. Yeah, that is, um, wow. That is so, that is so amazing. I just, um, I'm just, yeah, sitting in deep admiration for the, the wisdom, you know, of your teenager that just knew like, oh, to, to create this as a, as a practice. So, um, okay. So I, I hear the part about, uh, sort of starting to completely go against the, the religion. Um, and was that sort of, I guess, like in your late teens, early twenties, No, it was like at 16. So I'm Mexican. And when I was like 10 or so, my mom asked me like, okay, like, do you want a quinceanera or, or do you want us to save up for a car? Do you want us to save up for a trip? Because my parents didn't have like a lot of money. And so it's like, we need to plan at 10. We need to have a five-year plan for that. Because even if I would have had a quinceanera, like they can get expensive. So yeah. I, even as a 10 year old, I was really not attracted to the idea of having a quinceanera. Like I loved going to them. I had a lot of fun when I would see my cousins, like have theirs, but I would just see them. And I'm like, everyone else is having a good time, but she's stressed out. She's taking pictures. She's doing her dance. Like, 
at a young age, I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. I think I much rather, and I also wasn't that attracted to a car. I'm like, I want to go on a trip. I was always interested in seeing yeah. the world and learning about new cultures. So my mom asked, uh, where do you want to go? And I'm like, Egypt or Japan? And she's like, no, we're not. Well, let's go someplace, um, you know, not as far, maybe a place like that might be a little bit closer, might be easier. So furthest she was willing to go was like maybe somewhere in Europe so I'm like okay like I thought honestly at the, at the time I'm like oh, that sounds like a little bit not what I wanted it's a little oh. boring but you know this is a gift and I'll you know I'll work yeah. with this you know I'll be I'd be like happy to go anywhere so I decided on Italy mm-hmm. and so that it was in that trip that didn't happen until I was 16 because um 9-11 happened. I'm 35. So it was around that yeah. time we had to postpone plans. But I ended up going um, in 2002 to Italy. And part of the trip was going to the Vatican. And a part of me was like, you know, excited to go see it. Not so much as like a, a religious, like, uh, pilgrimage or anything like that, but just because, oh, I know my great grandma's going to like want something from me. I can get something for her, you know, like this is mm-hmm. the chapel. Like there were some things about that part of the trip that I'm like, I'm going to get something out of this. Okay. I just, okay. Sorry to just butt in, but I just need to, again, acknowledge this like very divine part of you. (laughs) You It's like, I'm going to go to this holy place and it's just calling me. And it has that like magnetism for your spirit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely, which is so funny because since then it's been like, I've never looked back, but yes, like that was totally like, where I was, you know, like at at all levels. And, um, so I remember going and, you know, the other piece of of things is that I, I'm Mexican and, and a lot, and like, not that every like Mexican person thinks this, like it's like any other country where there's lots of, um, social and political, like turmoil and conflict in many ways. But when I was also a kid and I learned about the Spanish conquista, I was pissed off. Like I was like this whole like conquering and colonization, like what the fuck is this? Like, this Mm is awful. Like I remember seeing in our, in our textbook, um, you know, all these artifacts being in Europe and I'm like, mom, we need to go get those. Like those don't belong over there. Like my mom's like, that's not going to happen, but I appreciate your enthusiasm. Like, you know, learn more about history. Like if that's something that you're interested in doing. So there was this other piece that I wasn't anticipating that was also really big inside of me that going to the Vatican immediately, I just remember like part of entering was almost like it felt like a museum. There were all of these artifacts of like the garb that, you know, different popes wear and all these jewels. And I was honestly disgusted. That was my feeling to seeing all of that because you know, in my school, the nuns, like, you know, the school was right next to like the convent. They all wore the same thing. I I don't know really what went on behind closed doors, but everything that they preached about having a simple life and like, you know, being of service from my, you know, young eyes, that's what it, you know, there was no discrepancy that I could see. I'm not saying that there wasn't anything happening. Cause like that, those things do happen, but from my eyes, they really lived that truth, you know, what they were kind of preaching. And so to then see all of that, it was all of these like connections I started to make of like, oh, like all of these riches have to do with, you know, conquest and slavery and all these awful things. And it's no surprise now, you know, like it's like, yes, like that's not a big connection to make. But at the but age like, of as a 16, kid, yeah. yeah. At 16, where like I wasn't using the internet, you know, I was born in the 80s, like right. I didn't have this information like readily available. And because I was going to a Catholic school, of course, they were painting the Catholic Church to be like this amazing, you know, institution and religion. And I was so bad into it. So I did not know really like a lot of the facts, you know, just the facts, historical facts sure. of, of that institution. So for me, it was such a moment of like, I think because I felt so close to it, it wasn't just like a, oh, like hypocrisy. Like it was a visceral, somatic, disgust feeling of Whoa. like, I want nothing to do with this. Mm. The wisdom of your body. Wow. Well, um, wow. So that is a, that is a, 
I'm just like, I'm just going to bathe in that for a moment. What a, (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh, like powerful imagery and, um, and, and a powerful experience with your body and, you know, being at that age, finding the truth. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, how like it happened just by like seeing the, you know, these quote unquote, like riches, you know, like no one said anything. They were still trying to present like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And you're, and I'm like, just walking there with the rest of like all the people that were there, like, I cannot wait to leave this place. Like, it's so, yeah. And I still got something from my great grandmother. I came back and when she, like a week after she passed away. So I'm glad that I was able to see her, but she wasn't even sick when I left, you know, like I left and I had no idea she like had gone to the hospital. She lived a long life. She was in her nineties and I was so close yeah. to her. So it was interesting. Cause at that age, as I was starting to deal with like one of the most important people, um, you know, just like passing on and dealing with that kind of grief and knowing how, wow, I'm really rejecting this religion. Um, and, and I really was introduced through it from her, like being able to know the difference of like everything about her and her life and everything she taught me, I still love and appreciate and really can separate from this other, you know, this like cultural religious baggage that I'm choosing to no longer like incorporate into my life. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Divine timing. I know. Wow. Well, so um, maybe we fast forward a little bit because um, I know that some of your work today is, you know, really centered um, around uh, supporting uh, wh- you work mostly with women. I work with everyone. Women. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Supporting humans yeah. uh, to uh, to release shame, um, to reclaim their sexuality, specifically from like religious traumatic experiences. Um, so I would love to hear just a little bit more about um, like how you've developed that body of work. Um, so my entrance into this work comes from a lot of the environmental justice work that I used to do in my early 20s, which for me, it's also connected. But I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, like this is a huge 180, even some of the people that I used to work with. But for me, I was very interested in just because of like where I grew up and different things I saw in social justice. I was really interested in, I'm a very like anti-border like person. So I was interested in maybe becoming an immigration lawyer or, you know, mm-hmm. I had a lot of openness as to what my work could look like. And it ended up going down the route of climate justice organizing, which I did for many years. And I'm still connected to a lot of different projects and people that are in that. However, after about four years of doing that kind of work, I started to one really crave doing work that was on a one on one basis because wanting to see like big social change, you know, at these like macro levels is important and also can be just a great recipe for burnout because mm. you we, you may not see, you know, the the fruits of your labor, you know, or you may not not see it soon. So that part of me that was very idealistic and wanted to see that change like now, like, you know, like nothing was like kind of good enough when I was doing a lot of advocacy work and going to Sacramento or DC. And I would just see like the way politics and diplomacy was working. It just felt like a lot of BS to me. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of need for my own like self to work with people on a one-on-one basis, because while yes, we need these systems to change, we also can do a lot just kind of in our own lives. And I want to be able to see that even if it's at a micro level, a change with another human being. So that's kind of what got me into massage therapy. So before I got into sex education and intimacy coaching and all of that, it was more around like, if I'm interested in basically having like healthier communities, this is one way that I can learn, a, you know, um, a skill, a craft like massage therapy and offer this to my community. And then I'm going to get the satisfaction of like, oh, I saw the, the fruits of my labor, even if it was in one hour, this person feels less stressed, maybe yeah. their pain is lessened, you know, what have you. So 
it was really through learning massage therapy and learning about the way we store like trauma in our bodies and learning about consent and and then just making the other connections of like oh like all these you know things that I've had in my own personal life you know a lot of these um dynamics that I felt were very unique and personal kind of are a little bit cultural, you know, like they're not so unique and everything that my friends would share with me about what they were going through again was so like mirrored that I thought, you know what, it it was again, this little internal voice telling me like, oh, that all of the work that you did as an environmental justice organizer, we kind of need that same like skill set, but around intimacy and around relationships and around like our bodies, like why didn't I think about this before? And I think it had a lot to do with that kind of Catholic upbringing and that shift around puberty where I was kind of told, oh, all of these parts of yourself that have to do with like your body and your sexuality, like hide them. Don't talk about them. Just Mm -hmm. kind of like they can exist. Like one day you'll probably have a baby because of course that was pushed onto me as well. Like, you know, you will be a mom one day, but almost this virginal, like immaculate conception, but we're not going to talk about how it happens. (laughs) We're not going to talk about like it feeling good. None of that. And I was somebody at an early age, like always had crushes, you know, as like I started masturbating at an early age. I like have boyfriends here and there. And I really did feel like, okay, like if I want to feed that part of my life, I have to be very secretive about it and hide it. And all of all of these things that over time, like really weren't like supporting me, but also I could see like a lot of people that come from those kinds of backgrounds or are in these kinds of communities or societies, like it just doesn't serve us. So Mm-hmm. Once I made that connection, I, without like a clear goal of like one day I'm going to be a sex educator or one day I'm going to be, you know, an intimacy coach, anything like this. I just felt like talking about this stuff. I'm like, if I'm talking about how we should ban fracking and go after oil companies, like, <laughs> why wouldn't I talk about like, you know, why can't be like naked and not that not be a sexual thing? If I don't feel like it's sexual, if I just want to be at the beach naked, that the problem isn't me, it's the people around me that might, you know, see that as an invitation, you know, as just as a you know, example. Yeah. So, and I mean, what I hear in all, in all of this is just the, um, the distinction of the embodiment of standing for something. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it actually and this is something I'm really learning, you know, like even just when I'm on the Internet, I'm like, what do I actually care to engage in? What are the things that like make my blood boil? Right. To the extent that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would make myself so vulnerable to stand for something, you know. And and so that's really, um, really powerful to have that realization of like, okay, wait, I have this like fire in me. And now how do I want to use this in a really intentional way to create the world that I'm interested in living in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So yeah, I just started to, um, talk about a lot of these things more openly and post I mean I've always talked about these things with my friends but it felt like exactly like a conversation that needs to happen at a wider like level you know because it's like well I talk about this with my friends I talk about this with the people that I'm intimate with but somehow that is still missing the mark like somehow we're still in this soup of shame somehow we're still in this like you know environment of you know that's basically like anti-pleasure that it's you know we can talk about the way I think like capitalism just kind of seeps into our sexualities too where like you know this productivity and like performance and just like what about just like feeling into what feels pleasurable and what keeps a connection going like all of those things that I'm like, I want to talk about that at a bigger scale. And so once I started to do that, very like serendipitously, a friend of mine who worked at um, a luxury sex toy brand reached out to me and said, hey, by the way, I work at this company. It looks like you're doing great with your massage therapy work and everything you're doing. So I don't know if you're looking for work, but they're looking for somebody that's bilingual and you're clearly super comfortable talking about sex. So I just think that you should apply. It'd be awesome to have you on the team. You know, no pressure though. And it sounded so interesting. I'm like, yeah, like I'm actually super excited about the work I'm doing as a massage therapist. I really do enjoy this work, but also 
I can just apply and see what happens. And long story short, applied, got the job and worked at Lalo. Um, it's a luxury, like sex toy brand worked mm-hmm. with them for two years. Um, and it was a great, great, uh, opportunity to meet so many other people in the industry that had been doing this kind of work at various, in, you know, in various ways, whether it's as really? performers or people that are making different products, you know, that are thinking like, what do people really need? Um, uh, you know, that really connected me to, wow, like this is kind of, I guess what my body and what my full self wants to do right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know, uh, the uh, the thing I, I want to call out here just in relation to your desire, right, is that um, it's so, I mean, it's so powerful and so beautiful that this uh, this opportunity just showed up at your door, right? Because you were so like starting to get in touch with the issues that are actually important to you and like doing body work and, you know, going internal (laughs) and that when you start doing work with your body in an intentional way, like that is the pathway to desire. And so it's not, you don't have to effort, you know, that's really the thing I want, um, all of you, my listeners to hear in, in this portion of Jess's story, which is so brilliant is like, Oh, things just started happening and and unfolding as a natural kind of consequence of you just getting so deeply aligned and in your body and clear. So, whew. Yeah. I mean, I do, I feel very lucky for that, um, opportunity because it was so aligned with what I needed and what I wanted to do and something that I didn't even know that I really wanted to do, but I also, cause it is, I feel like important to also mention. Yeah. I'm definitely the kind of, um, intimacy coach and I, in general, I also work people on because I am an artist with their creativity, with their art practice, things like this, like on, on the side. And as somebody that's very interested in systems change and in organizing, I also get really careful around not wanting to maybe, even if it's at an indirect level, promote the idea that anything around like, oh, what's the word, Um, like law of attraction type of type of thing where it's like, oh, I was in the space. And so something did just, I was lucky. I was, that's what I want to hone in on because I do think that even in my work, when I'm supporting people, it's like, it's amazing if we can get clear on what we desire on what we want and like clearing out the space. But at the same time, when we live in societies that are oppressive on multiple levels, you know, you can do all the work and there can be a lot of frustration that clients can feel around like, well, I'm doing everything. And, and they, and it's like, but still like those things outside haven't changed. So that's just the one piece that I want to also add on to the conversation in that it's like, I was very lucky and it wasn't in, in alignment. And there's also been plenty of times where even in my own story, other people's story, like yeah. that doesn't happen. So I just also want to add that mm-hmm. onto listeners that being I think that also so part of like the importance of speaking these things out and connecting with other people. Cause I think that's really what can get people to living, you know, the lives that they seek, you know, embodying the pleasure that they want and, you know, being able to, ma- you know, quote unquote manifest, you know, people use that word a lot, like their desires is it's not just about how hard you're going to be working to try to manifest mm-hmm. that and attract that it's, if we talk to each other and start to actually change what our communities and our society looks like, then that's actually going to be much more probable. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, um, there's something I wanted to add. Hold on. Hold on a moment. Pause. Um, the, oh yeah, just in terms of like desire and this like, yeah, law of attraction and all of that. The, um, yeah, the thing I want to add on to that is that, yeah, totally. Sometimes you're what you think you desire, right? It just like, it doesn't work out or it feels like it's so far away or, you know, it doesn't happen in the form or in the timing that you thought that you wanted it and and then yeah people are like wait but hold on I'm doing all the meditations why isn't 
it's showing up. And, you know, I believe that you have everything that you desire, like at some level, right? If you're, if you're lonely or broke or, you know, any of these things, there's some part of you, a shadow part of you that actually wants that, which can be like the, I think the hardest thing for, uh, for people to, to accept. And that when like, like, I also just trust our path right? That like, okay, so I thought I wanted that thing, but maybe it was really my brain that wanted it, not like my body. And like, it maybe wasn't a true desire. And I was supposed to go on this other path, you know? So, so yeah, I think, and I, I think we agree on this and I'm just, you know, sort of wanted to put those pieces in too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, and that's the beautiful work that can happen, you know, when you're either working, you know, in a, in a community or in work, you know, in a specific group or with one-on-one coaching where you can really dive deep into these things, because a lot of these ideas get, you know, which makes sense. They get distilled and then reproduced at mass scale. And I feel like in general, when I think about all the things that I've been like working against, like the messaging that I got not to reproduce that. And I feel like that can happen a lot in like the wellness industry, you know, maybe because, and sometimes it might not be intentional. And I think a lot of times it isn't intentional, but it's like, I just think it's important to just be that self-reflective to make sure that we're not reproducing like harmful ideas, like keep people just in another form of, you know, this feeling of lack, which I mean, it sounds like, you know, that's kind of what you were also speaking into the conversation as well, that a lot of what we, what we need or what we want, we may already have at some level, how can we invite it in? How can we invite it in with other people? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm, I love that. Um, let's see where I want to go. Um, you know, this might seem like a total left turn, but I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know one of the things that you talk about is, uh, like embracing celibacy and abstinence as, as a way to deepen your own, um, your own pleasure or, uh, to really use it as a tool to reflect on your sexuality journey. So I would love to, I think that's a unique, um, practice that I I don't see that many people talking about. And, um, so I would love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. Um, so yeah, I I love to share about this because it was a recent journey that I went on. Truthfully, Mm -hmm. the pandemic definitely (laughs) pushed me into that, but it was something that I was thinking Mm -hmm. about for some time and also something that I've supported clients on. And it's really what brought it to my Mm -hmm. attention because someone that came from a very religious background that always, you know, enjoyed having sex, um, very sex positive, you know, kind of unlearned a lot of that kind of shaming, you know, at some point, you know, many years ago. And, uh, you know, celibacy wasn't something that was really on my radar, something that I was personally that interested in. And I just started to see it come up again and again and again with different clients. And it was something that just made so much sense given, you know, maybe what they were going through or what was happening on, uh, with their lives or even with partners, you know, I've met people that I've dated that shared with me that, you know, they had a period of celibacy and and what it meant for them and what it was like for them. And it was so interesting because I always associated celibacy with some kind of like religious undertones that I, given everything I shared was very anti-against, you know, it's like, I would not want to do that. And also side note, the, one of my favorite teachers growing up that kind of encouraged me to be a nun, which she said when I expressed my interest in that, she said, I, you know, think that's great, but you should definitely see the world, travel, have a lot of sex, fall in love. And then if you want to be a nun, you can go ahead and do that. When she said that, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do all of that. And then I'll be a nun. So I, you know, <laughs> okay. That is fascinating that she said that. I know. I, mean, I, it's I like, even, Wow. Like divine. I know. I'm like, I've always wondered since then because it's stuck in my mind so much, like where that kind of came from, you know, like did she do that? And like that's what she recommends it, or does she wish that she would have done that? Like just so many questions. But <sighs> yeah. um, but yeah, I guess for me, like I, 
did eventually travel, have a lot of sex, fall in love. And it's like, never looked back. And so I'm like, no, why would I want to be celibate? And so it was interesting to meet so many people that shared with me, actually, like, this is such, it's been such a rewarding process to go through. It's actually allowed me to amplify and expand what pleasure feels like for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I heard it all, you know, I, I took in what they said, yeah. And it wasn't necessarily landing for me, like on my, for my story, for my journey. I'm like, huh, like there's something about this I don't get, but I don't need to get everything. I don't need to understand it yeah. for me to be able to hear it or to understand that it can definitely work for you. You know, I don't have to have disbelief with everything that you're sharing just because it may not make sense uh, for me and what I want. So took it all in. And especially once I started working with clients, um, cause when I was working at Lalo, I became super interested in like, you know, I want to get, you know, certification on becoming a sex educator. I think it's really important if I'm giving workshops on how to use all of our pleasure products and I'm doing all these marketing campaigns and going to all these like fancy accounts. Like I didn't have the best sex education clearly from where I came from. So as an mm. adult, I need to like, you know, mm. do my best because I'm kind of in a position in somewhat of a position of power and I don't want to replicate harmful messaging. I don't want to, you know, I just could see there's a gap here in my learning that I want to address. Mm -hmm. And so I went down that path. And so once I had been doing workshops on a regular basis, once I was starting to work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, because a lot of people that would go to my workshops, you know, I always had a space for Q and A people come up and ask their questions, but without fail, as I'm setting everything down, people would come up to me because they wanted the privacy. They wanted the sacred mm -hmm. container of, I have more questions and mm -hmm. I feel drawn to working some of these questions out with you, but I don't want to ask them in public. I feel embarrassed or I just want right. a little bit more of that intimacy when it comes to speaking about intimacy, which made total sense to me. So pursued, you know, training in that as well. So once I started to work with people, it was just so wonderful to see people, you know, kind of in real time, starting to see those shifts where people are expanding their pleasure because they're, and celibacy can mean so many different things for different people, right? So for some people, maybe they're just not having partnered sex. Maybe they're still masturbating. Maybe others might be completely like not even having sex with themselves. So it can look like many different things, but that process of kind of self-defining and rediscovering what you know, your experience can be without having sex, how that can still be very pleasurable, how your sexuality doesn't have to necessarily like die or completely shut down, how it can just be mm -hmm. a new way of getting to know it. It could be a, just a time to pause and it's a way of reconnecting and maybe rebirthing what your sexuality is going to look like. So it was really transformative to see as a coach. Mm -hmm. And then I sort of started to get curious about it myself. I'm like, what would it be like? I've gone through my own process of, you know, having serial monogamous relationships. And then I stepped into having polyamorous relationships. And in general, though, I've dated a lot and I've had a lot of amazing um, sexual partners. I feel very happy with a lot of the things and also have yeah. had my, you yeah. know, <laughs> relationships where I've had to learn the hard way. So it's been a mix of it all. And I just thought to myself, I've been single. You know, I thought that, oh, I'm taking time away from relationships and I'm yeah. being single. But in all of that singledom, I was very sexually active and I didn't recognize how those were still relationships of some kind. And that was still energy that I was putting into, you know, someone else um, that I'm like, you know, I kind of want to know what it feels like to not do that, to mm -hmm. just kind of put my sex life on hold, if you want to say, or just kind of to the side and just like, what does it feel like to still connect with others, you know, maybe on an emotional level, um, but without that. And mm -hmm. to be frank, I wasn't very good at it because as someone so practiced and just like, no, yeah. if I, I'm going to be present and mindful and like sex positive, what, what was happening right before the pandemic hit? I was still going out, doing my thing. I still met people we have a good time. We're using protection. We're having, you know, a conversation where we've established consent, then I'm good to go. So I really wasn't in alignment with this curiosity I had because there was really no 
you know, big, like, oh, I need to be celibate or this is going to, I had nothing really than more than a curiosity of like, wow, I've seen people really expand their pleasure. And I've seen people get so much out of celibacy. I kind of want to know what that feels like too, but it was just a curiosity. So when it actually came down to it and I saw, you know, found myself in a situation with someone I was really attracted to that was feeling me too, all of that curiosity went out the window and I would just go through and have these experiences. And again, I'm actually really happy that I did that because I don't think one, I was ready for celibacy yet. And two, as someone that has worked through a lot of like de-shamifying this, you know, the shame that I went through around my sexuality at a younger age, I feel really proud of being able to follow my pleasure. I feel really happy with myself that I can really own an experience or a connection that I want to have with another person. So I don't regret that. I just, you know, I was telling myself, you know, maybe you should be celibate and I wasn't following through. And that's something that I really like to impart, you know, to my clients as well is that it's okay if you have goals or you have intentions that you actually don't, you know, embody because maybe one, you're not ready for it, or maybe two, you don't actually really want it. And that's okay. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's okay to brainstorm and sketch out what we might want, even if it changes. So with that, you know, it was really the pandemic that I'm like, okay, now things are shutting down. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know at what scale this is going to be, you know, now, you know, here we are, you know, all this time later, still dealing with it. But at the time I thought this is the perfect time for me to experience what celibacy can be for me and it definitely brought a lot of those Mm. like lessons of yeah what is what is it like to experience pleasure in my own body I decided to still self-pleasure so I was still having sex with myself I just wasn't engaging with others and I have to say that it really brought my like solo sex experience like to such a high level that it was ridiculous. Like even just for that alone, like I'm like, I'm really happy that I experienced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. This is, um, this is why, you know, I work with the, the women in my containers to set up a self-pleasure practice that is separate from sex. You know, if you have a partner or partners, um, you know, because there's just so much to mm-hmm. be gained in saying, Hey, there's my clitoris, you know, there's my pussy and I'm going to give her some attention no matter what else is happening out there with other people. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like one of the biggest things that I like to share with others is that we often can look at, or I, this is what I guess I hear in like, you know, uh, our culture, the stories that we hear either in movies or things that are written, right? It's like, oh, relationships, you know, change over time. And like, you might want to spice things up. And like, why don't people talk about that with their own, you know, solo sex experience? Because I've been masturbating since I was really young. I've been having amazing orgasms since I don't know what age. Like, I, this is not something that is necessarily like new to me, but also my solo sex has gone up and down in in terms of the satisfaction or in terms of like how sexy I'm feeling in my body. And so Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of reconnect of like, no, like I am actually going to put energy into re-nourishing what that experience can be like, because yeah, sometimes maybe I'm just going to masturbate and like have an orgasm and it's just a release of stress. And that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. But to have an experience where you're really rediscovering all these different sensations, different parts of your body, how they change, maybe different fantasies. Like it's such an expansion of, you know, just experience and joy to feel in your own body that, I mean, I I love it. And I love supporting people through that too. Mm, Beautiful. Well, um, thank you so much for your generosity today. I'm just, I feel um, so full in the best way in my body right now. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So I would love for you to share um, if there are listeners who want to get in touch with you and, and, and your work, um, the best way to get in touch and any programs, anything you have coming up that you'd like to share. Definitely. So I can be found on Instagram um, as 
jess.demiel. Um, that's D-E-M-I-E-L. And it stands for of honey, because I just love that to be something that we remember is that, you know, we can yeah. enjoy our own sweetness. And on the link in my bio, you'll find my website and all the different links to how you get it, you know, can get in touch with me. I do offer a three month intimacy coaching program that's all about prioritizing your pleasure and I do work with everyone at first I really started working with a lot of women but I have found that different people need different things and I really enjoy working with people of all ages of all genders if you have any questions on any specifics the FAQs are all on my website so yeah you can find it all on my Instagram handle Okay. Amazing. And uh, that will also be in the show notes for easy access. Awesome. Well, um, Jess, thank you so much for being here today. And um, yeah, like I said, just for your, for your generosity of spirit, it's been so beautiful. Thank you so much, Kaylin. It was lovely to be in your presence and to spend this time with you. I really appreciate it. Mm, My pleasure. All right. Bye everybody. so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.